This is Diet of Brussels. It's the first soft rock uh, Diet of Brussels episode. We're here in Belfast uh, at the start of the Oasis conference. We're going to be talking a lot about different aspects of Brexit, but I'm here with uh, David. We're actually in person uh, doing this together. Um, over this uh, conference, we're going to be talking to various people. We're going to be bringing various episodes about different areas of policy uh, and you'll see those come in the coming weeks. But before that, we wanted to talk about one issue that's been rumbling on on the margins of the relationship, namely the question of British participation in Horizon, which is the EU's research uh, programme. Now, this was something that was an area where the UK had always said they wanted to be part of it, they wanted British researchers to have access to what's seen as one of the world's leading schemes for international collaborations. The EU said that you know, they saw value in that as well, but whilst the Northern Ireland Protocol was up in the air, uh, those negotiations didn't happen at all. Uh, and then following the signing of the Belfast, no, not the Belfast, of the Windsor Framework, uh, back in February of this year, uh, the line from Ursula von der Leyen was that we could move very quickly on this question. And so here we are in September, uh, nine months, uh, seven months later, uh, with no clear progress uh, on this particular issue. So we're just going to talk a little bit about how we've got into this situation, uh, where we are right now, and where we might be heading. David, what's useful for our listener to to know about Horizon and you know what it is and you know why is the why is the UK out of it? Well, the UK is out of Horizon basically because what we're seeing here is that there is a choice for the UK in terms of a choice that has been offered by the Commission, and that is either exiting from Eurotom or a financial adjustment for the UK having not been members of Horizon since it departed from the European Union, but it cannot choose both. And that is the sticking point at this moment in time. So the UK has opted to go the boat route, i.e. we want cake and eat it, we want to exit from Eurotom, but we also want financial adjustment for the fact that we weren't members of Horizon. The European Commission say, no, you can only have one of those two. And why this is important, obviously for in our field of course, for political scientists and also social scientists and other scientists too, who are seeking to apply for monies from the European Union. And this is a more overarching question then about whether or not the how this relationship between the European Union and the UK will develop over time. So obviously joining the single market isn't at this moment an option, but closer alignment say in terms of scientific areas a soft area it's not an area that is too difficult for the UK to agree on or to be close to the European Union likewise for the Commission this is not a difficult area for the European Union or to push the European Union to having a closer alignment so this is an easy win for both sides if they're able to reach this agreement but as I've mentioned a few times already this is the sticking point the UK wants its cake uh, and eating it uh, or as the Commission seeks not to do that. And it is indeed very important for UK scientists across and researchers across uh, UK's academic structures, whether or not. Yeah, it's maybe worth unpacking that a little bit because you hear a lot in the media from 
professional associations uh, and individual researchers and universities saying, you know, this matters. So what this does is it provides a very large amount of funding for big collaborative projects. So, you know, there are some different elements to it. There's some individual awards uh, which are focused on sort of individual projects. But the, the large focus of that funding is for those collaborations typically involving, uh, you know, maybe a dozen institutions in a dozen countries and not necessarily limited to being in the EU, but to uh, associated countries, which is most of the rest of the world. And the UK can still be part of those kind of associated kind of things, but it can't lead on those projects. So part of it's about access to funds, uh, and we'll come on to how the UK has tried to offset the money question, but probably more important than the, the funds itself is being plugged into networks. And as we know, with a lot of STEM subjects, you know, now you can't do sort of gentlemanly research, you know, you've got some uh, retort flasks and Bunsen burner and, you know, you can discover new things, you know, you've got to build a large hadron collider and do stuff like that. So you can't do it by yourself, even on a national basis, you have to have those kind of collaborations. So, you know, the, the interactions matter as much as the money, and that seems to be a, a key part of it. You know, we might also observe that even if the UK does rejoin Horizon, it still won't completely resolve all of the things, all the benefits that the UK had as a member state because there won't be freedom of movement. So uh, you see a lot of mobility of researchers, uh, you're a case in point, you know, that you've been working in uh, different European countries and that's relatively seamless. I'm going to say that, I don't know if that's actually true because there's always some local bureaucracy. Um, so you won't have freedom of movement suddenly for academics. Uh, so even though there'll be potential collaborations, we're still going to see some kind of costs uh, around that. But Horizon is seen as a place to be, and it has built up a reputation over the last few decades as sort of uh, a centre point for really strong, you know, cutting-edge research, which is a good thing to be in. You know, and it provides a sort of a critical mass that single states can't provide. So, what, so, as you say, the, the problem is not a technical problem, it's a political problem. And what we saw certainly during uh, the pre-Windsor period was a very clear linkage in practice, even though the Commission and the EU always denied that there was any linkage between non-compliance with the protocol on Northern Ireland and any talk of doing anything else. You know, and I think the EU's line was fairly clear. You know, there's no point getting into new entanglements at a point where you can't even commit to the ones that you've already signed up to. And so from that perspective, I think you know, we could understand the logic. You know, this was another way of trying to incentivise uh, London to uh, get its acting gear, comply with the protocol, move on. So the, the question then is, Windsor seems to address much of that, doesn't address all of it, and that's going to be one of the things we're going to be talking about with other people this week. So why has that not resolved the problem in the last seven months? Because in the end, what we're dealing with is money. Um, so that's basically what it is. Money has been a, a core issue 
in relation, in terms of the UK's relationship with the European Union since it joined. We, of course, had the rebate. And this is what it is here as well. I mean, the UK is seeking, in effect, a rebate for the fact that it has not spent on provided money for Horizon. The European Commission is asking for a certain amount of money, over 14 and a half billion pounds from the UK in terms of this Horizon project or Horizon funding program itself. And the Treasury took back 1.6 billion of that already. So this is where we're down to, we're down to simple numbers. And the fact is, again, that it is really not so much to do with a lack of willingness, you could argue. It is really down to the fact that there is a lack of, perhaps, degree of interest, but more importantly, it's to do with money. And money, of course, is a key factor here. And the UK, of course, as we've looked at over these negotiations, we'll look at it over these negotiations, as you mentioned, and into the future as well, in relation to the UK's relationship with the European Union. I mean, it didn't set start off too well with the withdrawal agreement, of course, as we know. Um, so the UK needs to be seen to have some sort of win here as well. So playing, being tough, and of course, the Prime Minister being tough, uh, with the European Commission is always an easy win for the Conservative and the Conservative backbenches as well. But in the end, it's very little money, comparatively speaking. But for Richard Rishi Sunak, of course, it is uh, something that he can play the kind of tough guy on uh, for a little bit. Yeah, and I think, you know, well, again, it's one of those paradoxes of public financing is that, you know, in the scheme of public finances, this is a, a rounding error. Uh, but if I told you, you know, the, the man or woman in the street that, you know, we're talking about several billion pounds, uh, they're going to suck their teeth and say, well, that sounds like quite a lot of money. Um, I, the irony of it is, is that I think the UK has conceded that as a non-member state, it can't go back to what it had as a member state, which was basically, it was one of the very few areas where the UK got back more than it put in pro rata. Mm -hmm. You know, it's pro rata payments, which are kind of roughly based on the size of the economy within the, the EU. The UK institutions were relatively effective at securing money and getting that coming back in. So, you know, it was a, a net gain for the UK. So the, the UK accepts that, roughly speaking, it's going to have to put in what it gets out. You know, it's going to be mm -hmm. sort of cash neutral in those terms, but done through this network, which again allows for that kind of network. But we also then have this further paradox, which is that the government has built or talked up, hasn't built up, it's talked up an alternative plan, uh, which basically would commit the same amount of funding in a UK scheme uh, should membership not be possible. I don't know if you want to say a bit more about how that would work. Um, because again, it raises the question of, you know, given that whatever we're doing, the government's saying this money is there for researchers, why should they complain about the, the terms of the deal with the EU? Indeed, and I have good news for UK-based researchers because the UK government is planning a to launch or activate the Pioneer program, which, as you touched on just a moment ago, is a similar amount of money as to which the UK is not willing to put into the Horizon program at this moment. So 14.6 billion uh, pounds. And indeed, it was going to focus on or to be in the view of Westminster, it's going to be done on fair and appropriate terms. So the idea again of not allowing for Brussels to, you could say, dictate even even in the small area. So this is good news. So you have many opportunities, Simon, to apply in the Pioneer program. I think we touched a little this on this a little before in terms of moonshot or something to a degree. Yes, moonshot program. Yep. So uh, this will be very useful for our field as well. Um, 
and indeed they are seeking to use this money uh, across four different pillars then. So again, be focused in relation to uh, trying to attract talent into the United Kingdom runs a little bit opposite to the current stance that we have in relation to border control. Uh, then it seeks to enhance international and global uh, partnerships. So that's the second pillar of the four pillar strategy in relation to the Pioneer Programme. And then business-led innovation, which will be, again, trying to orientate and trying to link uh, science with business as well. So this idea of trying to uh, push the UK economy onto the next level. And then the fourth pillar then is to indeed provide uh, additional research to the infrastructure, the physical infrastructure in the UK, i.e. across universities and specifically labs as well. So there, this is the four-pillar approach that the UK government has conceived. Again, it's a certain amount of money that the UK would be putting into Horizon at £14.6 billion, but I suppose uh, when we look at it, perhaps better uh, odds for UK researchers to get that money as well, so that could also be trumpeted a little bit as well, because it will be an internal programme too, but of course... It, yeah, again, at the risk of having to put an explicit language warning on this episode, uh, which I'm sure I should have done for the whole series, um, you know, yeah, on one hand, you know, UK academics sound a bit like grumpy shits, that, you know, here they are, the government's offering something that basically looks a lot like a rise. It's the same kind of ideas. It's about excellence, it's about building scale, it's about building uh, networks into industry and, you know, applications, so kind of developing all of those kind of things, you know, so it's not different. And yet, almost to a person, these academics say, "Well, we don't want that. We want, we want the interference of Brussels." And I, you know, I, having said that, I've certainly been around long enough to have heard multiple complaints from academics across Europe about the way in which the Commission puts together its research priorities within Horizon. You know, the specific calls it makes. You know, there's a whole kind of ecosystem of uh, consultancies and lobbying and you know you've got to brief this person and do that person and they'll put a call out that will fit your consultants kind of thing and you know it's uh, a whole kind of clique and industry and you know it's clearly problematic and yet that still is something that British academics say that they would rather have than the strings free or less strings free kind of approach that the British money recovery come with precisely because their ability to attract international talent, that first pillar, uh, is that much more difficult because the UK by definition is a smaller pool than that of the, the EU equivalent. So yeah, you know, I think it's, it's very easy to sort of see academia as a sort of a pro-Brussels output, whereas I think actually it's not really that, it's more mechanical that it's just economies of scale seem to be uh, at play in all of this. And I think there's also possibly a degree of suspicion about whether the UK can actually get uh, Pioneer up and running in an effective way and whether it will be any better in terms of bureaucracy than the Commission, which surely is not the hardest barrier because uh, Lord knows there's more than enough bureaucracy in Horizon for anyone who's done anything with them. And it's interesting, you know, I think it's also interesting that Pioneer is not something that the British government has mentioned it a couple of times. You say that, you know, they've developed it, but I don't actually get the sense that they've really 
gone to town on it. It's very much the feel of, you know, it's always presented as, as if we can't get back into Horizon, we've got this thing in our back pocket. You know, so it feels very much like a plan B. And as such, they never seem to put that much effort into really going with it. If it's such a great idea, why not just do it anyway and forget Horizon? So, uh, you know, in that sense, there is a degree of listening to the user group. Um, I don't know. What's your, what's your perspective? You know, is yeah, I want to pick up on just one thing you mentioned earlier, and that was in relation to why UK uh, scientists are a bit sceptical of Pioneer. I think not so much about the bureaucracy. I think it's what they're losing as well, because you do have... I think it's fair to say brilliant minds on the continent which you're not able to access and uh, you do lose that cross-fertilization of ideas from different universities, different academics and I think it is a loss and I think that's something because in a way the UK looks a little bit insular in that regard. Now again I don't wish to cheerlead the, the government but uh, again if we take a look at the second pillar of the pioneer program it's again it's about trying to reach out to more global scale i think that's perhaps what the government is trying to do if we were to give it some degree of credit which is to try and orientate itself away from the european union and more towards a global aspect so pioneer trying to link uk universities with us universities for example which is something that i mean horizon doesn't necessarily facilitate unless you're a marie curie fellow um, and indeed a global fellow as well if you apply for that STEM or for that stream. So I think in that regard there is potential for it. Now why you, it hasn't been launched yet I think can be attributed to the fact that the UK government is perhaps using it as a bit of a bargaining chip at the moment to try and reduce its costs for joining Horizon but is probably willing to launch this and we'll probably see this either after September or perhaps if we were to look at a Starmer government, which we'll touch on a little bit over the next few weeks, uh, Keir Starmer, depending on how the numbers fall in the House of Commons, we know that while Labour itself has not explicitly said that it would push for Horizon, if it is a home parliament, the SNP certainly will be pushing the Labour Party and Labour government to into that direction. And you would see action then with the UK government in joining Horizon and abandoning uh, the pioneer government under a Stammer-led administration and the general orientation of the Stammer government towards that uh, or towards the Brussels orbit we may say uh, but obviously not too close either um, so that's where I think we are at the moment so useful bargaining chip something to rally the base uh, in the Conservative Party easy win for Rishi uh, to kind of stick it to the Commission and always have that little uh, card in the back pocket and indeed as you mentioned why not play it because indeed the UK government is probably trying to save quote-unquote uh, try to hold off the Commission and try and save that 1.6 billion but I think if Pioneer doesn't happen and we do have a Labour-led government be it majority or minority supported by the SNP for example you will see the UK joining Horizon pretty quickly we're back into this uh, question now I'm going to defend the government you know that actually you know trying not to spend money that you don't have to spend is not <laughs> is not actually a bad policy you know and I think you know that's the danger I think for labor is that it becomes a, a easy to tar them with a you know Europe at any cost literally 
kind of approach. So I think you know for them there is going to be that bit of danger that if there is uh, a clear financial cost to them saying yes we'll just accept the commission's terms you know that then that comes back to bite them even though again still we're talking about a relatively small amount of money. So what we've got here I think again is something which kind of speaks to that more general picture you know clearly this whole issue is affected by the question of trust um, we're going to be picking up on that across the board um, it's a slightly different one because I think as, as you've said you know that both sides I think see the value of this they want to make it work and we were kind of quibbling about some sums and you know but there's that slight undertone of just, you know, is everyone playing with good faith in these negotiations? And is that going to be, uh, you know, an issue as we, we go on? So uh, I think maybe we see some movement. But, you know, we've heard mutterings in the last couple of weeks about, you know, more meetings, more discussions, you know, a desire to get this off the table. Um, I don't know. I think my, my view was that, at the time of Windsor, Rishi Sunak was happy to put the effort into resolving that because that was a, a clear win, it was relatively contained, didn't have to come with lots of implications, it kind of got a problem off the table. Whereas Horizon never felt quite like that kind of problem. It's a kind of an irritant rather than uh, you know a major issue. It's not as if the constituency that would be served by this is suddenly going to think much better of the government, given that generally this government has not been very well disposed to higher education uh, across the board. So, you know, the, the, the benefit, the upside seems relatively small, and that might be part of why he's not been willing to kind of uh, suck up uh, all of those costs that are there, political and economic. Are we going to see anything sooner or later? Or do you think it is going to be uh, until we have a change of government? I think it's... I think it will be until we have a change of government that we will see some change. I think at this moment in time, the costs are too high for Sunak to press ahead with this. Let's think about it. You have the potential to cause not a serious problem but a minor difficulty on the back bench is spending money at a time when the UK finances and the Treasury are a bit stretched I think we can all admit that and I think if the UK government can if it can get a quote-unquote win and again over this 1.6 billion pounds which is in the comparative scheme of things it's very easy for us to talk about it but in the greater scheme of things it is quite small fry uh, then yes, you could have something before the election. Whether that's going to happen, in my view, it's rather hard to see because again, as you mentioned, the constituency of researchers are most likely to vote anyone but conservative. So there's no win there in terms of winning support. While at the same time, you have the potential to rile up uh, elements of the conservative base and the Mac benches and we know Rishi uh, <laughs> managed to become Prime Minister having lost a leadership contest against Liz Truss etc etc so what I would say to people who are listening to this is that we will get clarity but we're likely to get clarity after the general election and that clarity 
most likely is going to be rejoining Horizon based on what we have seen from Keir Starmer, the direction of the Labour Party, insofar as not necessarily going back fully into Brussels orbit, but kind of like a distant planet orbiting around the sun. Uh, close, but not too close. Working on those little smaller layers. Pluto-esque. Indeed. Not pseudo-planet. Okay. And just maybe as a final thought, there is also a party political angle to this, which is that Sunak might make the calculation that it doesn't matter if it drags on, because then he can, as you say, look tough on this issue. Uh, safe in the knowledge that a Labour government would just pay up and then he can attack them for doing that. So, you know, rather than having to carry the cost, you know, he's opened the door and then, uh, you know, the Labour had to, to wear the cost of this. And, you know, that works in, in kind of a party political kind of sense. And particularly if we've got, again, sort of ructions again from the back benches that might push towards a sooner general election rather than a later one. Indeed, and I think that the issue at the moment is... I mean, salience-wise, is very low, non-existent. Let's be perfectly honest about this. Most people are focusing on the cost of living crisis. They're focusing on elements in relation to that, and also, of course, the NHS too. So this is low cost, but has a potential to blow up, especially in the verge of a general election, where you have a Conservative Party that has brought the UK to a point where the UK government is collecting, if I'm not mistaken, the highest level of taxation ever in post-war period and the idea of seeing in conservative newspapers for example uh, a conservative government handing over 14.6 billion pounds while at the same time refusing to cut taxes uh, has a serious potential to annoy a lot of conservative voters and cause problems in the backbenches and furthermore cause problems within the editorials of conservative-led newspapers such as the Daily Mail and of course the Daily Telegraph too. So there are some costs to this if Rishi decides to go full steam but as you said before it's in, perhaps it's easier for Labour to sort this issue out and get the blame quote-unquote for this than for Rishi himself and of course he can play up the strongman card as well uh, with regards to the Commission. I mean before we end, of course, and this might be something we can touch on later, uh, but I mean, Rishi Sunak, the international statesman, is not very much an international statesman, and that has been some criticism too, of course, that he has not been able to, uh, what is Rishi Sunak's foreign policy, etc, etc. So, I mean, this is an easy win for him, but it has potential costs and dangers for him in the run-up to a general election. So, dragging this out suits him perfectly well, and blaming the Labour Party, as you mentioned, for the costs associated with this while denying UK taxpayers a 14.6 billion uh, tax cut which could very well be an attack line by the Conservatives either in this general election or in opposition uh, is something that he's not going to risk. Okay, so we get soft rocked to death. Uh, yeah, I think maybe the, the, the headline from this is that even simple things turn out to be quite complicated in this relationship and I think you know when we're thinking about where this relationship might be going uh, and that's one of the questions we're going to be asking our guests uh, in the coming days you know uh, it's even those things which look relatively unproblematic that technically simple aspect still has to be seen in the perspective of politics that might provide a, a lot more complication. Indeed, and just before I uh, we go, uh, just to mention, of course, you mentioned the small but technical issues. 
our podcast in relation to car batteries, of course, kind of touched on that too as well, about the technical issues, but also the problems that may arise from those very technical and generally speaking quite say, uh, low savings issues. Great. Well, uh, that's it from us here in the hotel lobby in Belfast. Uh, we will be back with more episodes relatively soon, uh, just as soon as we've recorded them. Uh, until then, goodbye. Ciao for now. <laughs>